Thanks, Rosie. Morning, everyone. Don't you just love church that one moment we're hearing words from the God of the universe, and uh, the next moment we're talking about car parking? (laughs) Just glory, isn't it? Um, Well, we are, as Rosie said, continuing our Radical Welcome series, which, uh, if you're new here, great to see you. I would love to say hello uh, after the meeting. And um, we're in the third week of this. So we've done You Are Welcome, uh, and then... um, Uh, welcoming the nations uh, just last week. And so this morning, uh, we are talking about welcoming the next generation. And um, what what we're meaning by this, I I, I recognize, we we wanted to talk about kids and youth this morning. And I recognize that for some of you, that the next generation from your lives uh, might not actually be those those under 18s. And it is also worth pointing out uh, that when we talk about the next generation, that is not to say that they are not now very much part of the church. So we're one minute in, we've already totally dismantled the title. Uh, whoever came up with this title clearly needs their head looking at. It was me, if you, uh, if you didn't know that. Um, but that's what we're talking about this morning, kids and youth. And uh, if you are new here, you, you might not know so, something of, uh, um, of what happens in our, our kids and youth. It has been a bit alluded to um, already this morning. But um, we, we have, on average, 90 kids a week um, who are part of our, our Sunday morning kids' work. That represents about 120 regulars. We've just actually had our two biggest Sundays um, of, uh, of children's work, which is very exciting. And um, as you can imagine, it takes a, a lot of people to make that happen. So on any given week, we have about 30 kids workers who are uh, working in an, a number of age-specific uh, kids groups and oversight teams and, and worship teams specifically for the kids. And so that's about 100 people in Grace Church who um, serve on the kids' work um, all in all. Um, in our youth, well, uh, they are just about to go off to uh, a huge great festival with 7,000 uh, other youth called New Day. And there are people in the room this morning who are about to go off to that, very excited. We're sending about 30 kids to that, uh, uh, 30 youth to that. There's another 10 or so that, that can't make that. About 15 team going along with them uh, to support them. And I'm just am- amazed whenever I chat to the youth team by the, the way that their heart just yearns for these young people to thrive, the way that they um, go above and beyond to disciple them, to uh, hang out with them, to pray for them, to run sessions uh, on Sundays and Friday nights. And uh, our, our youth really are a, a family within the, the wider church family. Um, so there's some amazing things happening, and yet we know uh, that God's vision and heart for the next generation is always bigger, isn't it? He's always got more for us. And that's because in the, in the city in which we find ourselves, um, there are um, uh, about 20% of our city who are under 18. So in, in Nottingham City itself, that's about 68,000 people. In the county, it's about 167,000. We would probably call Nottingham somewhere in between. It's wider than the city. It's not as big as the county. Um, so we're talking about 100,000 people this morning, some, something like that the vast majority of whom don't know Jesus and haven't yet encountered his life-changing power, haven't yet encountered the freedom that knowing him and knowing that our sins are forgiven and we have been set free can bring. And we're also talking about an age group, the vast majority of whom will still be doing the stuff where most of us have gone to glory. So this is clearly significant. Jesus has very much got some things to say about them and about how the church engaging with them isn't actually just for their parents and those serving on kids and youth teams, but actually is something for all of us uh, to engage with. So uh, we are going to have a look at uh, Mark chapter 10. Um, If you're new to the Bible, Mark is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. 
And um, I'm reading from uh, verse 13, words are going to come up on the screen. So here we go. And they were bringing children to him, that that him is Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. I just want to begin by unpacking what's going on here, because when we read a passage like this, there's so much kind of uh, culture involved in some of the statements, it can be quite hard to kind of see the picture uh, into what what was happening. And in in Jesus' day, the Jewish culture of the time of which he was a part actually had really quite a negative view um, of, of children and young people. And it's kind of hard to define youth in in Jesus' day because um, at the age of 13, they would have become what we might call young adults. Um, But before that, whilst um, they were very much recognized as, as the Old Testament says, being a blessing from the Lord, Actually, there was some sort of, um, they were, childhood was considered to be almost like an unavoidable interim between being born and the time at which they actually became useful to the family in terms of being part of the workforce and continuing uh, the family line and what have you. A quite a negative view, and, and I suppose in our day, our culture is, is a lot more positive uh, towards children and youth, isn't it? There's, there's plenty of talk about um, passing on wealth um, to, to children, about passing on a, a functioning planet or um, a strong economy with, with accompanying opportunities. But it wasn't like that in Jesus' day. It, it was a whole lot more negative. And so when right at the start of this passage, they, whoever they are, uh, brought children to Jesus whilst he and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, ultimately so that Jesus might die on the cross and and rise again, the disciples didn't like it. They didn't like it. And they exhibited the very attitude of the day. Almost the kind of, children, just get in the way of the task. Like, we're, we're going to Jerusalem. We don't want children to interrupt us. They just take up time. They, they, they don't produce immediate results. And the text says the disciples rebuked them. I mean, that's pretty harsh to do to children, isn't it? Kind of reminiscent of like a Lee Miz or Oliver Twist kind of script or something like that. And Jesus reprimands them. And check this out. He's had to do it five times in the last three chapters. The disciples are not doing so well at this point in the story. Five times in three chapters to a greater or lesser extent. Jesus, it says, was indignant. And do you know, that is the only time that that word is used of Jesus in the Gospels. I was using the ESV translation, but if you're using the NIV, there's there's one other time. But either way, hardly ever used, apart from this one occasion. He is absolutely fuming at the disciples' attitude in dismissing these children. You say, well, why was he so angry? Well, my favorite commentator on the book of Mark, James Edwards, he he says this, the object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about that person. And I need only look back to the 14th of July and the Cricket World Cup final, sorry guys over there, (laughs) Kiwis over there, to realize that he is in fact right. 
that as we had um, fielded and uh, restricted New Zealand total at two for one, something like that, and began to chase the, the run total down, and were making more and more of a dog's dinner of it as the overs went by, I started to get more and more angry. And what happened inside me was the, oh, I just don't care anymore. And yet that is an inconsistent reaction. Not caring and anger do not go together. Me getting frustrated does not indicate that I do not care about it. The object of your indignation reveals something about you. You see, for Jesus, he cares so much about how it is that we welcome the next generation that he was willing to publicly rebuke his disciples. It says in verse 14, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And you think, oh, that, that's nice, you know, Jesus being sort of pro-children, being nice to them. And it, it would remain just kind of nice and cuddly if it wasn't for the, if the disciples' attitudes had no echo in our own hearts at all. You know, the way that they express it, oh, you can't really relate to children and young people. They just kind of get in the way, take up time, rather focus on adults where they're more comfortable or the more immediate re results. And if that, if that had nothing to do with our hearts, no identification in our hearts, well, that would just remain kind of nice, thanks, Jesus. And yet, I, I wonder if I might have permission to just provocatively ask, is talking to children and youth after our meetings here at church a regular thing for you? I, I wonder when was the last time that we had children or young people in our home, not just because we wanted to see their parents, I wonder when was the last time we prayed for a specific child or young person that, that wasn't our own child. You see, because Jesus cares, he wants to bring some challenge to us about how we welcome the next generation. So let's have a look at, at what he's got to say. The, the first, first thing that's going to come up on the screen is that the next generation are providers of an example providers of an example. Jesus says in verse 14, Let the ch uh, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now if, if you're a, a youth in the room this morning, the Bible encourages you to not let people look down on you because you are young, but to set an example to the believers. And we have some wonderful youth in this church that do that so well that love Jesus, that set an example. I want to thank you for the way that you do that. You're an example in a particular way. But those younger than you, so I suppose I'm particularly talking about children, young children, that Jesus is saying here that they provide a particular example for us to imitate. Now, I'm not meaning everything about their example, clearly. Although, in honesty, sleeping for as long as you like, then feeding then playing and getting a bit of attention, and then sleeping again. I mean, it kind of sounds like someone's ideal Saturday, doesn't it? You know, let's be frank. But there's something about being like a child that Jesus is saying we are to imitate. What is it? What is it? 
Well, in the Gospel of Mark, there is often surprise about the people whom Jesus commends, at least surprise to his hearers. He often commends those with very little. He commends those who come empty-handed. He commends those who are utterly helpless and dependent and just, yet just come to him. Now, there's a, there's a show that's doing the rounds at the moment. It's on ITV. It's called What Would Your Kid Do? Anyone seen, seen this show? Kind of hands up around. There's a, there's a kind of only one or two. So basically what happens is that um, children, um, probably sort of six or seven years old on average, um, get asked general knowledge questions. They've got three choices uh, to pick from. And then the parents uh, then have to guess what answers their child gave. And if they uh, correctly guess the answer that their child gave, whether it's right or not, um, they win a prize. But the parents don't choose the prize. The child chooses the prize. And what they do is they put on, on the one hand, the child could choose an all-expenses-paid family holiday to Barbados. And on the other hand, there is a princess castle, about this big, plastic, probably about 25 quids, but if you're a six-year-old girl, it is pretty appealing. And the program, you watch it, and you kind of feel the pain as this six-year-old just, I suppose, just demonstrates the, the, the childlikeness, the, the inability to make mature choices. And, and yet what she receives, she receives with such joy. I got a princess castle. Parents are crying in the background. <laughs> Jesus says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. People with this attitude of evidently needing help. And you know, in, in church life, sometimes we're pretty good at putting masks on, aren't we? I'm okay. My life's in order. I don't need anyone else's help, thank you. And yet, it's just not the reality. It, just to be honest and vulnerable, this week in preparing this message, so many in, in, of my own insecurities have reared their ugly head. I don't know that I have dealt well with the demands of life this week, in honesty. There's times this week where I felt like I've got family life spot on. And there's other times where I just haven't felt like a good husband and a good father. This is not a moment for a praise the Lord. But do you know what my hope is as I process that with God? And do you know what your hope is for whatever your issues are? It's that the kingdom of God is for the helpless and for the broken, and for, as Jesus says in Mark chapter two, not the healthy, but those who admit that they are spiritually sick, that they are vulnerable, that they need help. And being around the next generation, I suppose children in particular here, as they, they learn life, as they demonstrate that they are utterly reliant on others, as they come with very little ability to produce it helps to remind the rest of us that we too need to have a childlike, vulnerable, and dependent attitude in approaching God. Because when we can't do it, he can. When we can't face up to the nagging truth of the mess in our life, he has come that we might know that he has taken our place on the cross for our mess, for our shame, for our inability to change. 
And he's filled us with his spirit so that we can, as broken people, be put back together. We can't do it ourselves. And that's the point. That's what children illustrate. And I just want to gently suggest that if our philosophy is that engaging with children and youth is only for their parents or for those who are serving on children's and youth teams, I want to put it to you that you are actually missing out on a gift, on an example that Jesus has given to you to help you to become more like him. Because, you know, whatever it was in this story, the disciples, clearly, there's something that just makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable about these children, doesn't it? And there might be people in the room who can very much relate to that. You know, that can be some of our experiences too. You think, how, how do I hold a baby? Or what do I do with a toddler? Don't they just kind of cry and wee everywhere? Like, what do I do when that happens? What, surely that's in, in the few moments that I am with them, if that is bound to happen. What do I do? Or maybe actually it's more articulated with youth, with teenagers. Now, if you're a parent, you might not think this, but for the rest of us, they seem pretty cool, don't they? Sometimes. This, 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 sometimes there is language that they use that I don't understand, and that makes me feel like I can't connect with them sometimes. The, the, there's, there's great banter that goes on in the kids' work and in the youth work and makes me feel, do I have to break into that? And sometimes teenagers can seem intimidating. We wouldn't like to admit that. If it's our own kids, it's, it's not so much of a problem. But when you're looking on others, it can seem intimidating. And so I wanted to do something about it. So I went to one of our Friday night youth sessions. And, and do you know what? I was absolutely terrified. I went into the room, and I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to talk to me. And then I was like, hang on, I meant to have the ability to start a conversation with someone. Do you know, just breaking into groups of people that are not unlike us, come on, let's be honest, it can be a bit intimidating sometimes, can't it? And yet already, just in me going along, engaging with the next generation, with the youth, already I'd started to deal with something, some of my insecurities. Already I'd started to deal with some of the fear in my life by pressing through it, by just doing it. And do you know what happened on that night? Is that as I began to press through my fear, and had some great chats with people, had a wonderful time, we got a fantastic youth work going on. I was like, well, we're dealing with fears, so why don't we just keep pressing on? I'm going to step out in some prophetic words for some of these guys. And I got the opportunity to pick out a couple of people in the room and, and just say, I think God wants to say this to you. Do you know what? I have never had an accurate as a prophetic time as that night. There was one girl that I gave a word to about some sort of toy that she'd, like teddy bear or something, that she'd had since being a young child. And that the value that she put into that toy, into that teddy bear, was something equivalent of how God valued her. Like she loved this teddy, she cared for it. It was part of her whole life. That's how God saw her. Do you know what the week after, I met with her and her dad because she wanted us to have a conversation to make sure that he had not described her life to me. She was so taken aback. You are describing my life. Has my dad just told you about this? 
And she started to ask all these questions about Jesus. And something of that, I don't know if God exists, was suddenly blown out of the water by, God knows me. Do you know, sometimes it is in the place of our biggest fears when we press through them that we see our biggest triumphs. Because when our dependence on him increases, his ability, uh, uh, the ability for us to be used increases all the more. Because we're not relying on ourselves anymore. We're looking to him. So if you feel like you might be daunted by serving on a kids or a youth team or chatting to them after the meeting or engaging in some way with the next generation, what an opportunity. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be on their level. You just need to love Jesus and press through the fear and let God do a work in you and know that he's given us the next generation to help us in our discipleship. They're providers an example. But secondly, they're also positioned for influence. The next generation are positioned for influence. Now, right at the start of verse 13, uh, these mystery people, they, they, br- they bring these children to Jesus. It says that um, bringing children to him that he might touch them. Now, that's some sort of blessing, uh, possibly healing um, in their lives. And in my experience, it is an absolute miracle that they managed to get the kids there. Because if you have ever been involved in trying to get children anywhere, you will know it is an absolute nightmare. For a bit of context, I was trying to get my daughter somewhere yesterday. I turned around to be greeted by her stark naked, standing on all fours, trying to look through her legs to see me. She very much was not getting a move on. Quite how they managed to get them there is beyond me. And yet in them being brought there, they were being positioned for Jesus to make a point. These people, their parents, whoever it was, they thought they were just bringing the kids to be blessed by Jesus. And yet Jesus is lining them up to make an important point. They are strategically important to this story by being who they are, where they are. By being who they are, where they are. And so also, in the same way for us, they are strategically important in us building a thriving community that reflects and reaches every corner of Nottingham with the kingdom of God. Have you ever noticed children can get places, can't they? Now, when we were teenagers and playing football and the ball went over some fence and there was only some tiny little gap to, to get through, who did you look for? You look for a child to kind of squeeze through it. Or if something's under a chair, you know, how helpful it is that this child can kind of zoom under, get it out and back again. Children can get places, can't they? It's true in the spiritual too. Now we can witness to children and and young people that we know. Some of you are involved in education provision and that is a tremendous opportunity from God to influence the lives of all sorts of people to be role models, to show them Jesus. Maybe you have interaction with with children or youth or parents through your child's school. But we can't all reach classes of eight-year-olds. And we can't all reach unbelieving parents of 12-year-olds. 
And very few of us can break into friendship circles of 16-year-olds. But the next generation can. They can. They have a connection that most of us do not. They, they have opportunities that we do not. They understand life as a child and a young person in a way that we don't. A few years ago, we um, got to know um, a lovely little girl who uh, lives uh, near to our house. And um, she was just a, a toddler at the time, really. But as, as the years went by, um, a relationship with her developed. And um, she found herself very unwell one day. She went to hospital and... Um, I think some just really quite bad kind of uh, skin condition uh, was going on. And um, so Emma, my wife, and I went to, um, went to see this girl in hospital, uh, went to pray for her, and we prayed that God would heal her. And actually that afternoon, things took an upturn. She got released from the hospital quite soon after. But what then happened was a few years later, this girl got sick with something different again. And her mum brought her to Grace Church in her, in her mum's words, so that she could get healed again. And what actually happened in that moment was that a relationship with this mum began to the point where she came to know the joy of knowing Jesus. She made a profession of faith. And various members of her family are still in uh, home groups and were called Grace Church for their home, etc. All because this child, part of the next generation, has influence on her parents. Two of our youth did work experience um, in the office with a staff team a few weeks ago. And um, I went for a, a walk with them and um, just wanted to spend some time with them, hang out with them for a bit. And uh, I asked them kind of what they thought church, what they thought the youth work. I asked them what they thought of my preaching. Um, whoa, they did not hold back. <laughs> and, um, but do you know, one of the things that really, um, really struck me as, as I was talking to them, they get their culture. They really get their culture in, in a way that I don't. And they were asking all sorts of questions about how they can be a Christian as a young person today, the particular challenges they face. How can they honor Jesus in their schools? Their hearts so ablaze for God. And yet they're positioned there. They're, they're in the friendship groups. There's wonderful opportunity there. In 120 kids in our kids' work and 30 youth or so at New Day, for example, there's 150 evangelists. There's 150 influencers. There's 150 people with access to friends and families and others that most of us would never even get the opportunity to have a conversation with. And so we have to ask ourselves, as Jesus is provoking us from this passage, how do we inspire them to best do that? How do we inspire the next generation to reach the 100,000 under 18s in our city? Well, by providing them with loving community and a godly example. Because the third point is that the next generation are part of the family. They're part of the family here. And let's be clear that um, a child being born into a Christian home does not make them a Christian any more than being born in a garage would make you a car. Like just not, not at all. They've got to make their own decision to follow Jesus. But all the while, wherever they are at, whatever their understanding is, and, and, and whether they've crossed the line of faith or not, we want them to feel that sense of belonging that then makes sense to them of their believing. 
And when you read this passage that we're looking at today, you cannot escape just how for the next generation Jesus is. This is verse 14b. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. To such belongs the kingdom of God. And then verse 16. He took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the same Jesus that just uh, late on in the previous chapter, 9 verse 37, he, he has said this. He said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. They are utterly treasured by Jesus. The same commentator on Mark also says that um, one will search Jewish and early, early Christian literature in vain for sympathy towards the young comparable to that shown by Jesus. They're part of the family. And if they're part of the family, that means that there's a commission upon the rest of us to welcome them actively. Because here's how the Bible encourages the people of God to operate. Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall commence your works to another. There is a biblical commission upon the older generations to pass on lessons to the younger generations, to be role models for them, to be guides, to help them thrive. It truly does take a community to raise a child. I, I want to take you back, um, how many years would it be? About 15, no, 17, more than I think, 17, 18 years to 14-year-old JP. I grew up uh, in Stoke-on-Trent and was at a church called Swan Bank. 14-year-old JP uh, had way too much hair gel in his hair uh, that would be put on, and then I'd get a comb and comb it forward. It would then set, be as hard as a rock, and I would not allow anyone to touch it, and I thought I was cool. Wrong I was. I was obsessed with sports gear, uh, would wear it all the time, even to the point where I wanted to go to some under-18s club night once, having never been in a club before, no idea what happened there, queuing up in the queue, absolutely terrified, got to the front. I was like, I'm sorry, mate, can't come in, you're wearing trainers. I got so much abuse at school, the sports gear just went. It was shirts and chinos from there on in. That is 14-year-old JP. And you know, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian family. My parents were great examples of what it means to live for Jesus. And the church had a great kids' work and a great youth work. Uh, Russ and Wendy, Amy, Jerry, Kevin, Katie, names to you, but absolute heroes to me. They shaped my life. Some of the biggest, biggest influences. And, and that's kind of how it's going to be in churches. But I, I just want to show you what the rest of the church did and that the effects that the rest of the church had on my life. There were my parents' friends, Mark and Karen, David, Anne and Roger, and they submitted their lives to God too. This wasn't just some funny thing my family did. Like they, they, they submitted their, their lives, their futures, everything of who they are to God. There were the near role models, Ben, Matt, Peter, who gave me friendship even though I was younger, they invited me into what they're doing. Gave me some adventures. They, they were an example to me. They gave me life skills that I did not have. They advised me on relationships and all sorts of other things I had no clue about. 
because I was still understanding how to be an adult. There were older people in the church, two ladies called Margaret, who were absolute prayer warriors. One of them, throughout my teenage years, she prayed for me every single day of my life. Wow. There were all sorts of other people serving. We had a guy who used to be on the OHP. If you know what that is, ask your parents. And basically, he was the only other Stoke City fan in a church of Port Vale fans. They're basically the local rivals. The church was next to the Vale grounds. We had some deal going on that we'd do some funny little kind of OHP thing about how Stoke were better than Vale if they ever beat in the local derby. Trouble is, through my teenage years, it never happened. Not once. So we couldn't kind of interrupt the sermon with that. But he served every single week. He gave himself. Guy Stewart on the door that every single week would shake my hand and say, Jonathan, so great to see you. He's gone to be with glory now. But do you know what? He loved the church because he loved Jesus. There'd be leaders who would teach me and disciple me, not just on Sundays through hard work they put in, but in their homes. And it was a church where they allowed me to try things. I got to do a reading once about Jesus and the invalid. Trouble was, I'd never seen the word invalid before. And so Jesus and the invalid was read out. That is a whole other sermon on another topic. They gave me my first ever preaching opportunity, first ever leadership opportunity. They gave me a love for church and engagement with its community. And none of these latter people were kids workers or youth workers. They were just the church. One generation commending the works of the Lord to the next. And you know, it, it deposited something in my heart that expanded my horizon and it set in motion in me a desire to serve God and grew me on the journey. And you know, here in Grace Church, Rosie referred to it earlier, our kids and our youth leaders do an incredible job. But if we just leave things up to them, we miss out on what God has asked the church to be amongst other things, a place where his works are commended to the next generation. I just want to finish really quickly with a quick how. How do we do this? I've been alluding throughout, but I think how Jesus did it can be distilled into four options. The first one, talk. Talk to children that you know and you know the parents of and young people after the meeting. Wouldn't it be a travesty if the next generation grew up in Grace Church thinking the only people that talk to me are my own. We're family together. Second one is this, serve. Why not consider serving on one of the kids' teams or the youth's teams? I used to lead Arrows. It was a group for about five to eight-year-olds at the time. I could tell you all sorts of absolutely hilarious stories. We were out of time this morning, unfortunately about the things that happened there, what I learned about God's and the joy that it was. You don't need to be an expert with kids. You don't need to be cool. You don't need to be energetic. You just need to love Jesus. Thirdly, this, host. Why not host them in your homes or out and about? Take them out with you, with parents' permission. Now, Emma and I have done this. We've had various uh, kids just come for sleepovers at our house at a time. The parents will drop them off, we'll have some food together, we'll just do some baking or something, watch a film, go to bed. It's just, just that simple. We're just doing our life, but with them. Or finally pray for them. 
pray for them. Why not pray for specific children? Ask their families. Tell those children that you are praying for them. Why not pray for our kids' work and our youth work, for its multiplication, for the provision of leaders? I asked Claire, who leads our, our kids' work, what her heart was for the kids. She said, I just want them to have fun and know God. Why not pray that for our kids' work? That's amazing. And all of this because the one who gave it all for us, who gives us the ability to engage with the next generation, says that when we welcome them, we welcome him too. Let's have the band up. Shall we all stand together? We're going to pray.